0: Now today it's a different place All the same with a new face With strange mysteries hanging in the air People in their sane minds Swear they see you today Are you looking for the love they took away? Everyone knows That you couldn't buy the pain you took your life in the Ghoulish greetings to all of you. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers Podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard are, as always, courtesy of Bobby Mackey, and I, of course, am your host, Tessa Morrow. It's rolling around a bin, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know where to... This week we find ourselves in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania doing some hard time at Eastern State Penitentiary, a location I've always wanted to go to. One of the only three maximum security prisons in the United States where you are actually able to go in and check the place out for yourself, do a tour, do a haunted tour, what have you. The other two are Alcatraz and Missouri State Penitentiary. Construction begins in 1821. At the time of its construction, this penitentiary was one of the most expensive structures in the United States. Now, even though it's not complete, they do open their doors in 1829, but it won't be finished for another seven whole years. The first inmate to call Eastern State Penitentiary home was a burglar named Charles Williams. The theft that landed him in the pen was a $20 watch that was back in 1829, Today, that $20 is worth $647. And also, he had a $3 gold seal and a golden key that he stole as well. His sentence was two years with added labor. Now, at the time of opening, inmates had it pretty decent. Really, they did. Each had a cell to themselves with a toilet, heating and air conditioning, and even running water. One inmate per cell. You would think that's a dream. I know prisons, penitentiaries, jails, what have you, and the word dream, well, they just don't belong together. But considering that usually several men would be confined to one tiny area 24-7, well, one person per cell? Yeah, sounds like a dream come true in prison land. But is it really? They had a motive behind allowing the inmates to have their own cell? Think more like, hmm, solitary confinement. This was total and utter isolation, my friends. This was so the inmates could seriously think of their actions and why they landed up here today, in a penitentiary instead of at home with their families and loved ones and friends. These creepy masks would be put over the head so they basically could not see anything. They could not see or speak to their fellow prisoners. Talk about maddening and somewhat torture, really. Even for their meals, instead of going to a cafeteria or mess hall or whatever you want to call it, they had a feeding slot through their little door where they would get the food right to the cell. Now it's said that the guards wore fabric on the bottom of their shoes so the inmates could not even hear when somebody was approaching them. Even their exercise time was planned out to the absolute T. They're not even Two inmates outside at the same time. I'm all for these dangerous men and women paying for their crimes and justice and everything. But this is a bit extreme, even in my opinion. This form of solitary confinement, 24-7, well, it does not last as they begin to see overcrowding. Overcrowding in a penitentiary? That is ludicrous. It's amazing they attempted to do this at all, really. Well, Over 70,000 inmates would call Eastern State Penitentiary home. Some of the most dangerous men and women out there. No joke, you will hear about some of these people in a little while. Solitary confinement was not the only thing that they were known for. They had many forms of cruel and unusual punishment for the unruly inmates. The iron gag is probably one of the most terrifying ones, in my opinion. Think of the movie Saw. You know, the inmate's hands would be bound and tied behind their back. And at the same time, it would be strapped to an iron collar that would be secure in their mouth. Even the slightest move, something as innocent as a sneeze, would tear the mouth and tongue, which would cause obvious massive bleeding. At least one inmate is said to have died as a result of the iron gag, with it still in his mouth, possibly linked to other deaths as well. I can't even imagine. That would just be absolutely horrible. During the cold, frigid winter months in Philadelphia, they had what they called the water bath. It consisted of ice-cold water, and the inmates would be dunked into this bathtub. Then they would be brought outside and chained to the wall, where they would just kind of hang there until ice literally began to form on their skin. Then we have what was called the mad chair. The inmate would be seated in this chair and restrained. Oftentimes it was so tight that they would lose all circulation. Now the doctors at some point believed that these inmates suffered from mental illness and that if they cut the circulation, the mental illness would somehow just go away. Very bizarre indeed. Very bizarre thinking on their part. The inmate would be stuck in the mad chair for several days, many times without being given any food whatsoever. And I could only imagine that after a few days of this ridiculous punishment, that they would go mad. It is said that the mad chair led to several amputations. And after being stuck there for several days with no grip whatsoever, I completely believe that. And jumping back to the solitary confinement... You would think that each prisoner having their own cell would be a form of solitary confinement, right? But it actually got a hell of a lot worse. There is what they call the hole. And it was a cell that was underground where the inmates who dared stepping out of line would be held. No light, no toilet, the air or lack of air barely existed. There's not a single thing there. Charles Dickens... He visits Eastern State Penitentiary in 1842, and what he saw completely left the man in shock. In its intention, I am well convinced that it is kind, humane, and meant for a reformation, but I am persuaded that those who design the system of prison discipline and those benevolent gentlemen who carry it into execution do not know what it is they are doing. I hold the slow and daily tampering with the mysteries of the brain to be immeasurably worse than any torture of the body and because its ghastly signs and tokens are not so palpable to the eye and it extorts few cries that human ears can hear. Therefore, I, the more, denounce it as a secret punishment in which slumbering humanity is not roused up to stay. The system is rigid, strict, and hopeless, solitary confinement and I believe it, in its effects, to be cruel and wrong. The penitentiary becomes a national historic landmark in 1965. It shuts down a few years later in 1971. And in 1994, it actually opens as a museum, where people are welcome to go and take daily tours, and I believe nightly as well. During its 142 years, the penitentiary has surely seen its fair share of death, including several suicides and murders. Fate, how is he? In 1833, inmate Matthias McComsey was serving his time for manslaughter. One tragedy strikes: the iron gag punishment backfires and claims Matthias as a victim. Earlier, he had been trying to speak with another inmate. And there's no way you can do this at Eastern State Penitentiary without being severely punished. And it's said that an hour or so later, he's checked on and he's found unresponsive. He unfortunately had moved a bit too much and it severely tore his tongue. He sadly bled to death. In 1884, inmate Joseph Taylor brutally murders a fellow inmate named Michael Duran. Several people have seen the murderer Taylor's apparition roaming throughout the prison. It's said that over 50 inmates have committed suicide here. At least 12 have been murdered. Two guards met bloody ends at the hands of inmates here as well. With all the deaths that took place here, believe it or not, there were no executions. In fact, Pennsylvania, I believe, has only executed three people since the 70s. And the last execution was in 1999. None of those executions took place at the penitentiary. To this day, there are 110 on death row in Pennsylvania. With Eastern State Penitentiary's deadly history, it's no shocker that this location is believed to be extremely haunted. Reports of paranormal activity date back to the 1940s, and you better believe it continues on to this very day. (laughs) The second floor is home to a female spirit. Her apparition has been seen there many a times. She is referred to as the soap lady. She's usually seen in the last cell, and she's always dressed in white. This is most likely a past female inmate. The women were actually held in that area of the penitentiary. It would be interesting to find out who these ladies called this final cell home. Now moving on over to the third floor, where cell doors are heard opening and closing when no one's around. (coughs) Meanwhile, cell blocks 4, 6, 7, and 12, they all have paranormal activity as well. In cell block 4, inmates and visitors have bore witness to seeing apparitions and ghostly faces. In cell block 6, shadow figures are often seen dashing throughout the area. In cell block 7, oddly enough, the sounds of babies crying and screaming can be heard here. And in cell block 12, well, that's home to eerie laughter, disembodied voices, and apparitions. In fact, while filming an episode of Ghost Hunters here, they witnessed what looks to be an apparition of a man walking right past. And it's said that several employees have suddenly quit after experiencing terrifying encounters with the paranormal. This has been happening for years. During the penitentiary days, they had a locksmith named Gary. One day, his job had him working in cell block four. While in there, he couldn't help but feel that he just was not alone, that someone was watching him. He looks around, no one's there, he gets back to work, but then he's plagued with the same feeling, being watched. I turn around and I look down the block and I don't see anything, and as I start to turn down the block, this black shadow just slept across the block. A phantom guard has been seen lurking around one of the prison's towers, often at the top, these days, it's impossible to get up to that tower. The stairs have deteriorated. So it's not just like a not allowed in here, people prohibited, but literally you cannot get up there. So it's not like some lost tourist or something. I didn't believe in prohibiting people from getting the things they wanted. I thought prohibition was an unjust law, and I still do. Al Capone himself, while here, experienced some haunting activity. With all his heart, he believed that his cell was haunted. Mind you, his cell was the nicest one at Eastern State Penitentiary. In fact, his cell resembled more a nice, comfy, and cozy room than a cell at one of the United States' harshest penitentiaries. On one side of the wall was an old, antique-looking desk with a sweet-looking chair, both made out of wood. In the corner, an armchair sat with a fancy-looking lamp behind it. Then, what looked to be an old antique wooden jukebox. Then you get the bed. There's also a wooden table with another lamp. I would be comfy in there, shit. Seriously, look up Al Capone's cell at Eastern State Penitentiary online. It'll knock your socks off. Really, you'll see what I mean. No other inmate there got this sort of special treatment. Anyways, back to this haunting of his. So you'd think that he would be happy in his cell. But he was being basically tormented and felt something or somebody was haunting him. Nights were the absolute worst for Capone. It was straight up unbearable for him. He would often wake up screaming and crying out desperately in the late hours of the night, demanding that Jimmy leave him alone. He is eventually released from the pen, and it's said that the haunting continued. This so-called Jimmy kept tormenting the Chai Town Gangster. Capone was sick and tired of it, and recruited the help of a medium, but that does not solve his problem. So, who the bloody hell is Jimmy, and why won't he leave Capone alone? Kind of rhymes, Capone alone. (laughs) Many believe that Al Capone was the man who gave the orders that led to the bloody event that we all know now as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. It's February 14th. Seven of Chicago's Northside gang, will they're brutally murdered at Lincoln Park in 1929. Albert Wainshank, Adam Heyer, John May, Albert Kachalik, Reinhard Schwimmer, and brothers Frank and Peter Gusenberg. They're lined up against a wall and are ambushed by a sea of bullets shot up by four unidentified individuals. Two of the killers are dressed nicely in suits and ties and really nice-looking shoes. The other two killers, well, they're in police uniforms. To this day, the true identities of these four men remain unknown. But, as mentioned earlier, many cannot help but think Al Capone had a hand in it. That brings us back to Jimmy the Ghost, one of the massacre victims. Albert Kachalek was George Moran's second-in-command and he was also family. He was Bug's brother-in-law. His name may have been Albert, but one of his aliases that he used quite often was James Clark. James? Jimmy. Every James that I know is often called Jimmy. Can Albert Catchillac aka James Clark, be the Jimmy that enjoyed tormenting and haunting Capone and death? It makes sense. If I were brutally murdered and I thought you had something to do with my untimely death, you better believe that I would be haunting you as well. Hauntings aside, it's believed that one of the massacre victims was thought to be George Bugs Moran. You see, Albert Shack bore quite a resemblance to Bugs. They also had similar taste in clothing. So when he arrives, the killers believe it to be Bugs and the rest is bloody history. A case of mistaken identity? Can it be? Talk about wrong place at the wrong time if that's the case. Sergeant Sweeney, he is among the authorities to be investigating the crime scene. He had grown up in the same neighborhood as two of the victims, brothers and contract killers for Chicago's North Side gang, Frank and Peter Gussenberg. As soon as the sergeant arrives on scene, he recognizes Frank, who is the only man alive. He was shot 14 times. It did not look good for this man, but nonetheless, he was still alive. For now. Sweeney, he asks the man, he had known since they were children, who did this? Who's responsible? Who shot you, Frankie? Frank replies, as he lay there dying, no one, no one shot me. Here he is, shot more than a dozen times, right? And his brother's dead. His friends are dead. Yet he refuses to say anything that can help reveal and bring the killers to justice. He was never a snitch. He ain't going to die a snitch. He dies a few hours later. And with his death, the identities of the killers responsible for this massacre dissipate. If you go to the location these days, you would never know something so bloody like the St. Valentine's Day massacre occurred there. The garage, the warehouse, whatever you want to call it, well, it's eventually torn down and now is a parking lot for a nearby nursing home. Now, besides Al Capone, other notable inmates include Willie Sutton, James Bruno, Clarence Kleindienst, and Pep the Dog, called the penitentiary home. That's right, my friends. The latter was a canine. Pep the Dog supposedly killed Pennsylvania's governor Gifford Pinchot's wife's cat. Pep was given a life sentence. He's even assigned an inmate number, C-2559. Yikes. What a major bow wow. <laughs> Willie Sutton, better known as Slick Willie, he had a long career as a bank robber, spanning 40 years. He spent more than half of his life in prisons. Robbing banks was an absolute true passion for this man. He was even quoted saying, Why did I rob banks? Because I enjoyed it. I loved it. I was more alive when I was inside a bank, robbing it, than at any other time in my life. I enjoyed everything about it so much that one or two weeks later, I'd be out looking for the next job. But to me, the money was the chips, and that's all. Robbing banks and escaping from prison. He successfully escapes three different times. February 5th, 1934, Slick Willie is arrested and sentenced 25 to 50 years at Eastern State Penitentiary for a bank robbery at the Corn Exchange Bank. Two months later, he would take part in an escape that involved a secret tunnel that Clarence Kleindienst and William Russell, two of his fellow inmates, had dug for a year. Literally, it took them a whole year to do this. The end result was 15 feet down, 97 feet going under the courtyard, and 15 feet up to Fairmont Avenue and 22nd Avenue. Impressive, really. They even had electric lighting down there as well. Ten total were involved in the actual escape. All men there eventually apprehended. Clarence, who dug and worked endlessly for a year, he takes about three hours worth of freedom. 180 minutes of freedom, and he is handed an additional six years to his sentence. Slick Willie is also recaptured the same day as well. The final inmate that I want to talk about is James Bruno, better known as Big Joe. He was a crooked and dirty ass politician who had attempted, in his pure desperation, to fix the ballot boxes. He recruits the help of his family, and they ambush the winner, during his victory parade. This is known as the Calaris Massacre. The massacre takes place in a mining village called Calaris. Three people, will they die instantly, and an additional two people die a couple days later. Six members of the Bruno family, will they're found guilty of murder. James Bruno escapes the penitentiary. A massive manhunt is conducted, and he's found, but he's free for eight months. This week's special city shoutouts go to North Hempstead, New York, Ankeny, Iowa, St. Peter's Belgium, Big Stone Gap, Virginia, and Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? Well, don't fret. You can binge listen right now by hitting up Any of those awesome podcast platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Player FM, TuneIn Radio. Basically, wherever you may roam to hear your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Brothers podcast lurking in the background. Do you have a spooky story of your own to share? Perhaps you have a topic you would like to see in a future episode. Feel free to reach out via the Paranormal Prowlers podcast page on Facebook or email me at paraprowl at gmail.com. Thanks, and I'll see you next week.